Get Real with Lisa Crown podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so excited about my podcast today because I am interviewing uh, and having a guest speaker, one of the most insane, brilliant, smart, full of wisdom, full of, of incredible methodology that I have ever seen in my entire career. One of the best speakers I've ever seen. Uh, Jason Abrams, he's the vice president of Asian Experience in Austin, Texas, based uh, Keller Williams, the world's largest real estate franchise by agent count. He has been in business over 17 years. He um, is an operating principal team leader, heads up KW uh, Maps Coaching. He also is a uh, mega agent in his marketplace and the co-founder of Metrics Coaching and Training, not to mention that he um, also is in the sports sector and he runs an HGTV show called Scoring the Deal. This guy is... I'm no joke, like turn up your volume and get ready to listen and don't miss a word. His attention to detail and how he is worked so extremely hard in mastering his craft to a whole new level is just going to blow your mind. Check it out. All right, we're going to jump right in. Jason Abrams, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you for being here so much. It is an honor to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, I swear I'm your biggest fan, honestly, like business crush all the way. Thank you for all you do, all you're inspiring around the nation and over three continents, which is incredible. This is the Mutual Admiration Society because (laughs) I have been a fan of yours and you've kind of been mentoring me from the sidelines my whole career, so I'm really grateful. Oh my gosh, you're the best. So we're just going to kick this thing off. I mean, you are um, just a master at knowing what's best in class right now, like what's going on current. I just want to pick your brain. What is the market of the moment from your point of view for the sales force? And I guess that really means anything at this anything point at this in point. sales. What, what is your take on that right now in the marketplace? Uh, you know, I think that the markets are, they're always changing. And whenever you start to see more volatility in the market, then the market of the moment always becomes fundamentals. And when everything is zooming and everything is flying, that's when you have other people say, this is quote unquote, what you need to be talking about. And it's this shiny new object. And it really appeals to salespeople who by nature tend to be a touch squirrely, believe it or not. And then I think the markets show volatility and everybody rushes back to fundamentals. And the focusing question that people use is, where is safe harbor if there's a storm? And Mm -hmm. and anyone that's been through a storm knows that you don't start looking for safe harbor once it's pouring and hailing and the wind is blowing. You start looking for safe harbor once the clouds show up. And I got to tell you, anyone who doesn't see some clouds in the sky right now, um, I think is making a mistake. And then you start asking the question, which is who, which companies and which title executives and where in the world do I go for best in class fundamentals and basics? Number one, who's lived through this before that can give me some idea of what the world's going to do because it seems that history repeats itself. Number two, who has the best systems and models? Number three, who has the best technology? And number four, who has the most people with the most range throughout my marketplace? And when you ask people to look through the world during that prism, it usually makes sense who the person they need to be in business with. Hmm. 
I love that. That's so great. Thank you for that. Appreciate it. Um, I'm going to ask you a few questions that I have for you, and then some audience people in the audience have submitted some questions for you, Jason. So my first thing is, tell me a little bit about where you went from good to great. Like every agent, everybody getting into this business starts technically, for the most part, you know, building it from the ground up. We, I want to know where it went from just like being good to being great. I think it went to being great the minute that I realized that people do business with people they like. And prior to that, I had been kind of in this messy middle where I, you know, everybody hits the ceiling of the number of transactions. And then you look up and you say, okay, well, how do I break through this? And at the end of the day, the more people that like you, the more business you're going to do. And so where I had been tracking just the number of contacts I was making, don't get me wrong, that's valid, and I hear that. If you're not making any, then starting to track how many you make is a good idea. But the next step in that, and the graduated level of thinking, is how many people did I speak to this morning that like me more by the end of the day? And if that number grows every day, then you go from having a digital Rolodex to actually having a data bank. And somebody once asked me, they said, you know, no matter who you call, they seem to pick up the phone at any time. And I said, yeah. And they said, well, I call people all the time and they don't answer. And I said, well, I guess in my mind, that's kind of the definition of influence. Everybody that I'm calling that'll stop their life to take my call, I've drastically improved their world one way or another in the past. And because of that, they prioritize me. That's really the best way to think about influence in my mind. And so I, I would urge everybody to ask the question, do I have more influence today than I did yesterday? Mm. And if the answer is no, the solution is getting more likable with more people. And after that, everything became clear and everything went to great. Love that. All right, so next question, how do you handle objections? You know, people are saying no, you're trying to get out, getting on your listing appointments and getting opportunities. How do you handle the objections? It seems like a lot of the salespeople really beats them up and they kind of lose their mojo over it. Give me a little color on that. I get really clear that there's only five or six objections in the world, yet they have a bunch of different outfits, so it always looks like you're looking at a different one. The truth is the only objection a seller could ever bring up is how much they're going to get for their house, how long it's going to take to sell it, what the marketing plan is to do it, and how much you're going to charge. And it's the same thing for a buyer. Now, different questions. The reality is every objection comes back to the same central challenge, which is, do I create enough confidence in the consumer's mind that I'm the next natural person for them to be in business with? And that's whether you're selling houses or you're selling title or you're selling paint or you're selling wood, that, that's what it is. And I, and I talk to agents all the time and they say, well, I, how do I break into the luxury market? And I said, oh, you just make sure that you build as much confidence in the seller's mind that you're the perfect person to be next. And then the next day, someone will say to me, how do I start with for sale by owners? And I go, oh, it's really easy. You just have to create enough confidence in the physical's mind that you're the next logical person for them to be in business with. And when you look at the world under that prism, then all objections just become another opportunity to build confidence. And so someone might say, you, how do you build that confidence? You have to be really clear on what they're trying to solve and what business case they have on their mind. And this changes across all industries. So if you're talking to a seller, again, you're really best off leading in the first 15 minutes of the appointment, number one, you can trust me. Now we know that's where everything needs to begin because the only way confidence is built is with the word trust. 
And when you look at the numbers, the National Association of Realtors tells us that like 48% of all sellers, they, they prize trust over everything else. Then you have to quickly get into how, where you think this home is going to sell in regards to price, what your marketing plan is, how long it's going to take to do it, and what you're going to charge. Once you get those four things down, the rest of it is all just conversation. Mm -hmm. And so when I would sit down and think about my value proposition, if I was an agent, the first thing I would do is I would benchmark the top five or ten listing agents in my market. I would find a way to get their presentation or get in front of them. Someone said to me the other day, how do you do this? And I said, well, you got to get a little crafty. And they said, well, I've tried for a year and I can't get it. And I was thinking in my mind, like, cool, why don't you just rent an Airbnb and then call every agent in town and ask them to come over and give you the listing presentation? I would never give that <laughs> advice. But you got to get a little crafty. And then once you have those presentations, you have to ask yourself, does my value prop meet or exceed all of these? And if the answer is yes then you're good to go. If the answer is no, you got to do some value change. And then you ask the next question, which is where are the one or two things in addition to this that I am going to win? And this should rely on your strengths. Meaning if you're a solo agent right now, you should be going and telling every seller you meet with that the reason you're a solo agent is because you want a one-to-one -one personal experience with every seller and you're who they're going to focus on and you're going to call them three days a week and this is the only property you're going to think about. And if you own a team, you better explain why it's the complete opposite, meaning I've hired experts in every single category of residential real estate. You're going to talk to me less, but you're going to talk to people smarter than me more. So you have to figure out what your assets are and then go all in. Mm, love that. Gosh, so good. So good. Let's do some audience questions. This is something uh, coming in from um, a title sales executive wants to know, what is the one thing you need to be successful if you can only pick one thing? I, it's tough. If you only have to pick one thing, I think you have to decide that you are going to be an immovable object within your space. Like at the end of the day, you got half the title executives in the country that are running around and they're thinking, yeah, if this works out for me, great. And, and if not, I'm sure there'll be something else. Or The reality is, and a, and a great man once said this to me, he said, Jason, everyone I know failed into this industry. No one when they were eight years old said, I want to be a fireman or I'm going to be a policewoman or I'm going to sell title. Like that didn't happen. <laughs> nope. And so the one thing you can do to guarantee success is be an immovable object and get real clear with the entire world and the universe right now. I sell title. That's what I'm going to do from now until my end of days. And anyone that's got a problem with it, I'm going to roll over. And anyone that wants to partner me with it, I'm going to give them a hug. And nothing and nobody is going to move me from it. Once mm -hmm. you come, and I don't mean you say it and you kind of mean it. I mean, once you come to that decision in life, then everything else becomes easier because there are no options left other than success. I agree, 100%. That's what happened to me after I got out of title and went into being a coach was that m minute where I was like, this is all of me. I'm going all in thousand percent. I love that. Great point. Um, another yeah, question I, for the, uh, Oh, go ahead. I was going to, and, there, and there's no backup plans and there's no nope. maybes nope. and there's nope. no, what I'm going to do next. And I'm not even entertaining other people giving me offers. I'm an immovable object in this space, and if you intend to sell real estate in my community, you're going to have to know me. And you're either going to know me as a partner or you're going to know me as a competitor, and I'm good either way. Mm-hmm. Mm. Chills. Love it. Next one. How does a title company get a meeting with you when you're so loyal to someone else? What do they need to do to stand out? 
I think that that changes with, with the market. But I, I believe that every single real estate agent, and for the most part, this is human nature. They're trying to solve for one of two things. I either want to make more money or I want to have more time, period. And if you want to get my attention, you better have a solution for the one of those things that I want to accomplish this year and be able to articulate it to me in three minutes or less. And I don't mean I need the whole plan, but you better be able to give me more money or more time, which means you need to know which of those things I want. Then you have to have a proposal that helps me get there. That gets you in the door. After that, it just better be the right answer. Right, right. Because here's the thing. As soon as it is the right answer and you actually give someone more money or more time, that's what true loyalty is. Loyalty isn't I work with you because I'm scared not to. Loyalty isn't I work with you because you're always going to have the next best thing. Loyalty and influence are that you changed my life when I needed it to be changed and you continue to do it on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. That's the difference. Yep. I love that. And I promise you that most of your people out there who are saying, I'm loyal to so-and-so, or I'm working with such-and-such, or Brand Y is my company, at one point, someone there changed their life. Yep. And maybe it was yep. small, but maybe it was big. But I'm going to tell you this. Look up in the people in your world right now and ask yourself when the last time you changed their life was, because a big part of growth is retention. And if you look back and say, you know what, I have a great relationship with them. We go for sushi once a month, but I haven't changed their life for the better in three years. Let me just tell you, that's somebody who's really susceptible to being yes, recruited by yeah. another title company. Yep. Yes. God, I hope you guys are listening to that. You should rewind that. That was so good, Jason. He's on point. It's exactly right. I love it. Here's another question. Um, have you ever changed title companies in your career? What made you change? Yeah, I've changed title companies in, in my career many times prior to, to becoming a partner uh, with the Fidelity family. And the, the reason, that, by the way, the reason that everybody changes is the same reason. And it's never some big grandiose thing. And it's never some major planned effect. And it's never we should, it's that something happened on some insignificant deal that caught me on the right day that I was frustrated. And instead of looking up and saying, you know what, we had 941 positive transactions. We now have one bad. I woke up that day and I said, you know, we had 941, but the truth is on 309 of them, I felt like I had a small headache. Now I got a big headache. I just don't feel good about it anymore. Remember, mm -hmm. people don't hear what you say. They remember how you make them feel. That's right. And any time right. I've switched title companies, it was because I felt insignificant at the one I was at. Here's another question from the audience. What's been your biggest roadblock in building your business, and how did you overcome it? Uh, my... I, there's two things that have been giant roadblocks for me. The, the, the first one is unconscious incompetence, meaning that I didn't know what I didn't know. And what you're going to find is people who are unconsciously incompetent actually believe they're experts. And that's really dangerous. The key to coaching somebody, as you know, is to bring them to conscious incompetence, which is now you know what you don't know. If right. we don't get there, then we never get to conscious competence, which is I teach you how to do it, and now you're golden. And I had a reluctance to get to conscious incompetence because I truly believed that my unique practices were the right ones. Mm -hmm. And then you look up and you realize that there's other people on the planet that in a shorter period of time have been more successful than you, and you have to be willing to say, I'm willing to change everything I'm doing if there's a better way. But to do mm -hmm. that, you have to take a step back as an ego-driven person and take a step forward as an educationally-driven person. And for a lot of us, that's, that's a block. So mm -hmm. that's number one. 
Number two is this idea that people are going to represent the ultimate leverage. For someone like me, and, and you can probably relate to this, I'm amazing at succeeding, but leading is a completely different muscle group, meaning that I can succeed on my own as an independent salesperson and achieve at a ridiculously high level. And if there's a problem, I have enough personality to get through it. And mm -hmm. that works for 15 years of your career. And then you get to a point where you say, okay, now I'm doing blank, but I want to do blank times 10. And you realize that in order to do that, you have to start leading. And leading and succeeding are very different. And then you look up and realize, I don't even know how to manage myself. How do I manage others? And right. that's where the journey begins. Wow. That's so true. It's so true. It's funny. A lot of people in my, in our world, they'll come to me and say, been stagnant for two years, been stagnant for three years. You know, I just can't break that. And my whole big thing is, you know what? It's time to either A, delegate or B, start to build that empire. That's really where you're going to start to move the needle and learn to lead. And then of course, there's a lot of anxiety attached to that, you know, because you're right, whole different beast. But yeah, well, very... So it, it's like, I, I, and I demonstrated this the other day. I was talking in front of a group and I, and I brought this guy up on stage and I said, okay, can you throw a football? And he said, yeah. And, he, and I said, throw it to me. And he threw it to me. And it was a great throw. And then I came over and I said, throw it to me left-handed. And it, it was like the most awkward, ridiculous thing ever. But there's no better way to self-internalize what I'm talking about than realizing that succeeding is throwing with your right hand and leading mm -hmm. is throwing with your left. Yeah. And if you've never practiced with your left, how could you expect to be good at it? Mm. So good. So good. Um, here we go. Another question from the audience for you. Agents want leads, leads, leads. You give them leads and they don't work it. How do you get your team members motivated to actually do the work so they can generate the leads and make the, you know, do the transaction? You know, G Gary Keller actually explained this to me. And, and, and he's, a, he's, a, he's a, obviously he's a really smart guy. And he said that if you look at the maturation of teams over time, they all began the same way that any relationship does, which is based on the owner's personality. And people are drawn to that. And for a while that works. But then you need to add something else. And what you end up adding is education and coaching. And that works for a while. And then they need more. And so you add shared services like transaction management and, and marketing. And, and that works for a while. And then at some point, you then give them leads. And now the first three are really easily duplicated. The fourth one on leads is hard. Now all of a sudden you have a half-captive audience. The highest form, though, is actually appointments. And so what I'm going to tell you is if you're a team who's been giving leads to your agents and your frustration in life is that they don't convert them, you may want to think about moving to more of an appointment setting model where you actually do more of the nurturing work, get it to the appointment, then give it to the agent, but at a lesser split for the agent and more to the team. Meaning someone has to follow up long term. It's either going to be the agent or it's going to be the team. Someone needs to be compensated for that. The conversation isn't how do I get them to do an activity they don't want them to do. The conversation is how do I get them to do the activities they like at a profit margin I can live with? Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yes. Very good. Thank you. So our last question before we go is, do you have any advice for new people, for the new people who are listening in that are in sales and just kind of getting started? Uh, you, you know, I, I always think of advice as like this kind of bizarre walk through somebody else's past where they get to gloss over and make it sound better than it was. It's like this strange nostalgic thing. Mm -hmm. So instead of doing that, I'll tell you something that I learned that I, if I would have learned it earlier, my life would have been different. And that's that all of us are going to have tremendous problems that we face. 
personally and in business. Mm -hmm. And if every problem is looked at as a unique one, you're going to end up living an exceptional life where you make an exception for everything. The easiest way to tackle problems is to have a fixed framework by which you do it. And all the problems that come into my world, I solve in a very, very distinct order. Number one, system and model. I ask myself, for whatever problem this is, do I have the best system or model? Let's start there. Number two, technology. For whatever system and model I'm going to employ to solve this, do I have a piece of tech that I can tie to it because we're living in that day and age? And number three, people. Meaning if I solved it through systems and models, I added technology, what person do I need to add? And in some cases, you won't have to go further than number one. And in some cases, you'll have to go all the way to number three. But I'll tell you this, every team that I've seen implode started with people before they had systems and models in tech. And if you, if you look at life through that prism, you're forced to work through a framework and you get long-lasting solutions. And speaking of tech... You know, this is where Matrix really steps in. You know, the, if you could explain a little bit of the model, because we have real estate agents that are listening and sales executives that share this podcast, that they could connect and work with you. Can you give us a little color on Matrix? Metrics? Yeah, I, I don't want to bore your people too much. This isn't, this isn't really a sales pitch, but my, my, my world view is that the missing piece is technology when it comes to yes. lead conversion. Yes. I don't think we have a lead gen problem. I think we have a conversion problem. Correct. I think we have realtors Correct. with tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people sitting in a digital Rolodex. The models and systems via technology to follow up with those people. Here's the truth. As salespeople, we only get to choose three things. Number one, who we follow up with. Number two, by what frequency? And number three, by what intensity? Mm -hmm. That's all we get to choose. The consumer chooses everything else, when they do business, who they do business with, how much they're willing to pay, how much they're willing to let you make, how they use the service, how they relate to the company. Those are the only three things we pick. Who we follow up with, by what frequency, and what's intensity. What Metrics does is it runs a five-month program to make sure that you have the right frequency, the right intensity, and that you're focused on the right people by tuning up your third-party technologies. Meaning if you have a CRM, we're going to spend five months making sure that the thing actually works the right way, and we're going to try to get your sitting conversion rate from 2% to 10%. And if we fall short and we only get to 6 or 7 your business becomes a math problem and life becomes really scalable. Love that so much. And how do they connect to you to do that? Uh, it's a fantastic question. You guys, every, everyone can just email me directly um, if you okay. want more information on metrics. And uh, that's jason at abramsluxury.com. Love everything about that. And I do think that I love you just a little bit more after this call today. Thank you for your time, your words of wisdom, your input, and just being so fascinating. I, can't, I, I could talk to you all freaking day, but I appreciate you being here. Thank you, Jason. You're amazing. Thank you. Thanks, you guys. Appreciate it. Bye. Bye. Oh, was that amazing or what? Jason Abrams, you are my hero. My goodness. Thank you so much. Oh, wow. Thank you so much for just being such an incredible human. I'm in awe of your brilliance, my friend. Thank you again. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you have an amazing day. Rewind this to get those nuggets again and share it with your friends and your clients. Thank you, everybody.